Right now, we've got something for all those of you who really go for big band swing. Welcome to this week's Wimbledon with Fab. I'm Ed Chin. I'm John Stone. Well, let's see what's new. We've gotten a, a video for here, there, and everywhere. Uh, nothing really, really exciting, but you know, it's an animated thing. It's representative of kind of the end of touring. Uh, why they chose that to put behind here, there, and everywhere, I don't know. Yeah, and, and even the idea of making those videos, I, I'm, I'm like, why? What is the purpose of doing an animated version of a song that's 50-some years old? Is it plays on YouTube? I mean, is that the point? It's like, well, you look up here, there, and everywhere, maybe, and to listen to it, and here's a video. Animations, even computer animation, which is much faster and easier these days, is still not cheap. Why are they doing it, especially after the fact, this is not something that they're going to produce so they can put it in the box and say, here, look what we've done. <laughs> I don't think we quite have AI, which is good enough to uh, choose choose images, animate them, and then uh, put over Yellow Submarine-ish imagery. And again, why they chose the Yellow Submarine film, although in a weird way, the Yellow Submarine film has kind of been strongly associated with Revolver for a number of years. Yeah, well, Yellow Submarine and Eleanor Rigby are in there. The other sort of bit of momentum that they take from Yellow Submarine is uh, while you have 66-looking Beatles going about the travels, the uh, rough period of the 66 tour in and out of hotel rooms, in and out of airplanes, flying through is the dancing girl from the uh, Lucy in the Sky sequence from Yellow Submarine. It's like, oh, huh, okay. Uh, I guess that means something. <laughs> right? A lack of inspiration? What? <laughs> so, anyway, if you have the time, go out and look for it. It's not hard to find. It's probably not brilliant, but it's worth a couple minutes if you have. Right. On to the topic of the day, our ongoing series on Lord Reese's uh, BBC box. We're up to disc five now. 
Pop go the Beatles. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> the first thing I want to say is this time the fault groups have moved on, probably with the exception of their guests for the last show. These acts that are in there with them actually seem to make some sense. Right. But then the whole Mercy Beat thing was really gaining momentum in England. And so those folk groups are yesterday's news. And so they're actually getting groups that sound more like them, in effect, playing that kind of music. Yeah, we get the Searchers, we've got the Hollies, Graham Nasher, and that was the early days of the Hollies. very early days. And then in the last show, we get... Russ Sainty and the New Notes. Right. They're the ones who don't really belong here. Yeah. They're retro. <laughs> help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. When I was young, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. Russ Sainty was a contemporary of Cliff Richards, and he came out of the two eyes. Right. During the show, they did stuff like... And wipe out. <laughs> wipe out. There you go. Yeah. So when Lord Reef puts these things together, he tries to fit as much as he can onto a single disc, and you know he'll throw everything else he has, which is relevant, but wouldn't fit on a CD into an extra folder. Guess what gets thrown into the extra folder for this disc? It's all pretty much uh, Russ Sainty. Right. I listened to some of it. <laughs> that band didn't really uh, appeal to me that much. So sorry, Russ. Just the way it works out. If it was Jukebox <laughs> Jury, uh, it'd be a miss. <laughs> and <laughs> they, they very much fall closer to the side of the, uh, uh, the acts, which were in some of these other shows from... The other discs that we didn't bother talking right. that much People about. People remember the Quarrymen more than they remember them. We start with the second show recorded on the 10th of July. It was aired the 30th of July, 1963. I did have a question. You know, the disc begins with a thing where the announcer talks about, right now, the big band swing. And the disc closes out with playing something simple which is kind of weird so that's just stuff i guess that lord reef puts in as a a humorous thing it amuses him more than anything else i think <laughs> well i didn't know whether it was like and this is what the bbc sounded like <laughs> it's kind of that it's not like he pulled it from way out of time it was actually an air check from that time around the date that these things aired but yeah it's not like he's actually trying to do anything other than amuse himself with these clips before and after. Well, it's kind of funny because, you know, I knew what I was prepared to listen to and to have someone go, you know, and right now, Big Ben Swing. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I think he's just having fun. We can find him. Well, maybe when we finish the series, we'll have him on and we can ask him. <laughs> there you go. So the show in question, the first show we've got on here was recorded on the 10th of July. It's actually the second show recorded on the 10th of July. You want the first show from the 10th of July. How many times can I say 10th of July? Go back to our... Our 10th of July show. <laughs> go back to our previous show on volume four and 
You will hear about that. It's five o'clock. We're ready to pop. It's the Pop Go the Beatles spot. John Lennon, George Harrison, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. That's the Beatles. And this is Rodney Burke. Not to mention Harry in his box, so I won't mention him. All aboard! This was aired the 30th of July. In listening to this, keep in mind they've had two good hits with Please Please Me and For Me To You. But She Loves You hadn't come out yet. The single that really made it for you was the fourth single, She Loves You. John and I wrote that in a hotel room on the sort of twin beds, you know, like they have. He used to sit on one bed, I'd sit on the other bed of the two acoustics, and we'd start writing something. And that would probably be an afternoon off, you know, or we'd travel to a place and we had a few hours to kill, sitting in the hotel room. And really, as we'll see, they make a big point of going, you know, here's their new song. Yes, right. So, all right, first show, we had a short version of Pop Go the Beatles. Uh, as we were talking before we began here, in this disc, we get a full one minute and 11 second version of Pop Go the Beatles. Most of these are 10 or 20 seconds. So it's kind of surprising there's a really long version of it out there. Yeah, it's like, for those of you who know the, the Christmas records, Christmas time is here again. You know, they only use bits and pieces of it in the the release, there is a long version of it, and we get the long version of Pop Go the Beatles in this. I don't know that it, the long version was played at this point. I think it probably was, because, I mean, these are all copies of the shows. It's either off of the acetates or off of the shows. It's not like he actually went and created anything. He notes when it's a separate recording, which wasn't aired. Right. And we don't have many of those. Could have been a matter of broadcast airtime at the time. That's kind of what my thought is. They were just running a little bit short, and it's like, okay, we'll just let the pop go to the Beatles play out until somebody else comes on air and reads the news or whatever. Right. You're listening to the BBC. At 5.30, because Pop Go to the Beatles was a half-hour show. Right. And as Roddy Burke tells us at the opening of every show... It's five o'clock. We're ready to pop. It's the pop go the Beatles spot. Uh, yeah. And the Beatles were a pop band. I mean, at the time, that's what they are. As a matter of fact, I noted that in listening to these shows and particularly the way Rodney Burke interacts with them and his style of bumper, they're definitely a boy band. The fans are young girls and even the Male fans are young, and and so it's a real boy band feeling. The questions that are asked and the responses they give. It's a little bit older than the teeny boppers, though. They talk about girls going in and passing their GCEs. So we're talking about what would be late high school age, 15, 16, 17, would be their prime audiences. I don't think there were many like 11 or 12-year-olds listening to Pop Go the Beatles, although maybe I'm wrong. 15, 16, that'll still land you in jail. <laughs> well, that's true. But remember, this was a very, very different era. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm just saying that their fans were young. As the Beatles grew and, and their audience grew, you know, the people who were listening to them were in their 20s and all the way up. So the audience got older, and not only because of the passing of time. But, I mean, you go back to Almost Famous, Penny Lane was not supposed to be of age. She wasn't supposed to be that much older than William, who was a high school senior. Right. So at most she was, you know, 17 or 18, almost a full decade after this. For sure. Young people have always been 
drawn to the entertainment industry. And I'm just saying that, in my opinion, they are a boy band. They're cute boys. As we all know, as we go through some of Roddy Burke's introductions here. So they start with Memphis, Tennessee. It's a song we've heard before. It's a song we've heard better versions from them before. John's a little bit low energy here. I don't know that I, I totally agree. I think that the version's very good. And Ringo's drums, oh my gosh, I loved them. You hear them better. Long distance information, give me Memphis, Tennessee. Try to find the body, trying to get in touch with me. She would not leave a number, but I know who placed the call. Smoko took the message and he wrote it on the wall. Well, throughout the show, Ringo's drums and a lot of Paul's bass, although not all of it, you know, we just get great recordings of them playing. Yeah. I was listening to it thinking from everything I know of Pete Best, he would have never played that song that way. That we can agree on. <laughs> Long distance information, give me Memphis, Tennessee. Ringo kind of drives this song, gives it that looping thing that is Chuck Berry. Uh, and, and it's interesting that this song fades out. Maybe it collapsed at the end. It crashed, and so it's like, we'll fade it. We'll fix it in the mix. Memphis, Tennessee. This is followed by an introduction which actually kind of goes against what you were just saying. Some of these go just in weird directions, you know, particularly when it's the Beatles actually reading some of these cards and letters. Here's George talking about... Do you like the flower pop men? Ooh. I think you are even nicer than Ooh. Ben, but I hate Bill because he squeaks. I bet if you sang Do You Want to Know a Secret, his flower pop would pop and he would be killed. Oh. So, I mean, there, there's certainly a selection of them which are the screaming 15-year-olds, but there's also a hint of what's to come. Yeah, I suppose. More goon showish than you know, psychedelia, but it's still there. Right. It's nonsense and, and it's non-sequiturs. After listening to this chat... As we are faithful fans of the Beatles and listen to this program, how about asking them to sing a song for us? So drag old George, will you just heard him, to the mic, as we think he is the most marvelous thing since boys were discovered, and ask him to sing any song for Diane and Jenny of Bedford. So how about it, gorgeous? My comment, boy band. <laughs> but you had those two pieces together. It's funny that a lot of the pulp magazines uh, that came out at the time kind of use the same verbiage and the same kind of things. Hey, win a date with Paul. <laughs> so that's followed by uh, George actually playing Do You Want to Know a Secret. It's a nice version. It's a really good version, I think. It's a slightly faster clip that they play it at. And you can hear Ringo's drums. And, you know, It's the same thing we were saying before. George had recorded the song about five months earlier, so he's familiar with it now. He's very comfortable with it. His vocals are good and strong. On the Please Please Me album, the backing goes a little bit off the rails. It's much better here. Yeah. You know, doo-da-doo. Yeah. I think John just lost it a little bit somewhere between the cold, his cold on the day, and the day going on. Right. 
And the nerves. I mean, you know, we, we got to remember they were nervous. They were recording their first album. So I've heard the idea put forward that. Do you want to hold a penis? Do I? It was inspired by John's marriage, which had occurred in August. So when you talk about when a song got written, it was a new thing. And so George is comfortable with it by now. I don't know how much of it had to be arranged in the studio at the time. But when you have a chance to sing the song a bunch, then it's a better vocal, I think. Okay, next up is the guest spot, or one of the guest spots. The, the Searcher singing Sweets for My Sweet. Not a great song. It's a cover of a Drifter's song. Yeah. As opposed to the Beatles, who clearly have confidence over the medium of radio, the Searchers sound like uh, a new band. They sound like the Beatles did a year and a half ago. Yeah. Particularly on this one, they had a hit in 1964 with Love Potion Number 9. It has a whole different feel. It's almost like you're listening to two different bands. So this one is not a good sound for them, I don't think. And Love Potion Number 9. Which we do actually get here. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But this one, the arrangement slightly reminds me of Billy Jay's Bad to Me. I could hear that for so. sure. More Rodney Burke. And now back to reality. He reads a, a letter which... He claims to have been clipped from newspapers and, you know, printed out uh, ransom note style. That's a little bit weird. Yeah. Nor is that the only time this happens. There's another intro later on we'll talk about. It comes from some fans and it comes from Jill and Julie who think you're horrible. (laughs) Right. Till there was you is what they want to hear. That's what they get. We've heard that doe-eyed Paul. I don't think we really need to say anything. There's nothing particularly special. It's a good enough version. I think George's guitar work is actually kind of sloppy. You know, I don't know how much they played it live, but it's not well put together. Then more chat. Rodney Burke. We still haven't heard a word from Ringo yet. (laughs) (laughs) And how about him singing? Well, what will you sing for us, Ringo? Will you say a few words? Hello there, kiddies. I'd like to sing a song for you today called Matchbox. Oh, there I you go. Set fire to that lot. Okay, Ringo, thanks hey, very much. Don't get smart with me, you know. Arf, arf, arf. I don't know what to say. That's how they decided to introduce Matchbox. Right. Matchbox I liked a lot. It had a looser swing to it. It's a much more country feel than the studio recording. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's probably accurate. Although I, I wouldn't say it's country, but it has a different swing to it. And Ringo's vocal is very good. It was down the lie that Ringo couldn't sing live. Right. And, and he kind of really gets into it on that last verse. Oh, 
he sings it in a way that's not on the the record. Really cool. He sang higher than I thought he, he could. Yeah, yeah he, he goes up. This is Ringo Star time. This is what came out of his time with Roy Storm. That's where I, he probably got the confidence to be able to do this. And here he is. Then that is followed by, as we spoke of earlier, the Searcher's version of Love Potion Number 9. Which is a song I always liked. But this is about a year before they put it out. So... Well, I mean, it was a, what, a 59 single, the original one was. Right. I think you and I were talking last night about the fact that the song had been around, and so they could have been playing it for a while. To me, it's very close to their recorded arrangement, which is certainly possible if they did it well like that. I just thought, well, usually you get in the studio and the producer really messes with it, and it's really close to their record. So I thought, you know, but it's good. It's like the record. Then more Rodney Burke. Corny intro. Yeah, corny intro. He asked the fans to only send in postcards because, well, the the postal fellow is not very strong. Yeah, he just can't carry all those letters, so send cards. Which then goes into, please, Mr. Postman. Yeah, you think that Brian got to him and said, look, tell him to send cards. Letters are too much. I'm sure that was either a BBC request or, a, well, it may have been from Frida. <laughs> we know what was going on with Frida at that time. Make, make it easier for her poor dad to separate out the bills. There you go. So please, Mr. Postman um, has a different intro. Wait, oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Wait, wait, hey, 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 Mr. Postman. Mr. Postman, look and see. And has a a very weak ending. I was actually surprised. That part on the record where he sings, deliver the letter. You know, that's the last little pass of that. And uh, goes into the ending. And it just doesn't have the impact that the record has. So that's my please, Mr. Postman. Uh, then we get a version of Didu Ron Ron from The Searchers. Kind of a Mercy Beat style cover yeah. of the Crystal song. And, and my note says they're a good band. And the song was a favorite of George's. They kept going back to it in the Dylan sessions. Again, more corny interest from Rodney Burke when talking about Love Potion number nine. I wonder if you can get it on the National Health. Something lost completely on us poor Americans who have no idea what National Health is. Right. Although if you're listening to this, you're probably a Beatle fan and know what the National Health is. It's what John Lennon got the round glasses from. Right. Then Hippie Hippie Shake, which they played before. It's Paul doing the Chan Romero thing. Right. A favorite McCartney vocal. I mean, I like his version of this. The lead is iffy, and Paul has to do one of his you know screams to kind of save it. <laughs> George is you know <laughs> kind of looking for the inspiration on this.
that day had been a long day for George. Yeah. Roddy Burke comes back. And on behalf of Paul, John, George, and Ringo, who are the Beatles. They do that who are thing a lot. Is that a British thing? Or is it a 1963 thing? I don't know. We move on to the next three pop go the Beatles shows. They were all recorded in a single day. You know, this was a more difficult day than recording Please Please Me. Yeah, it will take its toll. So this is on the 16th of July. They were in the studio recording with the Beatles just a couple of days later. Yeah, and they used these sessions to go over a couple of songs, I think. It doesn't need to be said, but that's really one of the th- amazing things about this band is the quality and quantity of work that they did. Those boys worked hard. It's just amazing that they recorded all three of these shows, 18 songs, in just three three-hour sessions. Right. Yeah. Uh, not even three-hour sessions. Uh, the first was recorded between 3 and 5.30. The second was recorded from 6 to 8.30. And the last was recorded between 8.45 and 10.30. So the last one is the shortest? The last one might be the shortest because... They reused a recording of She Loves You. I see. It is written that they actually recorded a separate version of She Loves You for the other Pop Go the Beatles show, but it's never shown up. And the one that they aired was a tape copy. Ah, so the two She Loves You's are the same. Well, I hope I don't have different notes. The first one, Ringo doesn't sound very good. The second one, wow, Ringo really cooks. (laughs) So... Pop Go the Beatles from the 6th of August, 1963. Again, we get the theme. We get Roddy Burke. Let's pop in as John and Paul with, I'm going to sit right down and cry over you. Wow. Ringo's drums here. (laughs) Okay. What about Ringo's drums? Tell me, because I have some notes on that too. Keith Moon or something. My note is the intro is the role that Ringo can't do. (laughs) (laughs) You know how George Martin's like, you know, Ringo couldn't do a role. Well, the intro to this song is it's, it's like he can't really do a role. He doesn't. Um, now, what he does is perfectly fine and unique, which is kind of what Ringo is about. But, you know, you could hear the song and go, well, that's really supposed to be kind of a role. It's kind of harder playing than we get from Ringo ever. Yeah, it's like rain in a way. And the other thing so, that I have on this song is that Roddy Burke says, and John and Paul are going to do this song, and they do. The duet is stunning, really, because they match each other. You know, you listen to the way. I'm going to guess John kind of took the control, and Paul learned the song the way he sings it. So know exactly what I'm gonna do. If you ever 
but Paul matches him so well, uh, you know. So when there's a a little jump in the the way the he hits the lyric, to, as far as the tempo is concerned, Paul's right there with him. I mean, they know this song really well. Well, and really for throughout this whole show, the harmony is just tremendous. Yeah, they do the harmonies through most of these songs. They're really good. Pretty much yeah. everything. Great solo. George does have a couple times throughout the rest of the show, but the solo here, I love it. You know, my comments on George aren't meant to say he can't really play guitar because he can, and he does. They're just some solos that he's not there as well as he could be and some are are great so yeah and, and in some cases it's him and in some cases it's just the yeah, mix i'd agree with that and then the other thing is the bass is just really strong you know it's a great performance and it's a great recording yeah i guess they were basing this off of elvis's which is more of a rockabilly thing this is straight rock yeah. and roll put it out as a single so. <laughs> all right more rodney burke more reading of cards please make george sing anything we've got a friend who's in the hospital it'll make her feel much better <laughs> uh, this is where paul was commenting on the card from the uh, girls who had just finished their gces and needed to be cheered right. up right this george song that they picked is crying waiting hoping now why does george sing some of the buddy holly songs and john sing some of the other ones I- that's kind of weird. You know, they usually kept their covers so one person would sing all of the covers of uh, a certain artist. Don't know. But it, he does a good version of it. Yeah. Although, here again, in his lead, he's not solid. And, in fact, the end of the lead has a, a quick little run, which he doesn't quite do smoothly and before he comes back in on the vocal you can hear him giggle just a little he knew that he hadn't got it wasn't quite right although i love his vocal oh yeah he's kind of trying to do the buddy holly vocal yeah but he's not doing a direct imitation of it right it's almost like how how would how would carl perkins sing buddy holly's leads (laughs) right well there's a couple times you know take it just a little bit more countrified yeah george does that that's his voice there's another song coming up glad all over that george sings he has that rockabilly voice then go on to a version of uh, kansas city right hey 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 which is more raucous than the record paul really pushes it and john and george doing the backing they're they're just really shouting out the backing yeah they're having fun so i don't know if i'd say it's better than the version on the album but it's a it's good it's a lot of fun it's rawer so you know it would have been one of those things well it's a matter of your choice
Rodney Burke again with some more smoochy cards and letters that he's asking John to play something with a very romantic title. How about it, John? The song, To Know Her Is To Love Her. Yeah, my notes on that is Rodney Burke, dumb. (laughs) John loved this song, and it's a good song. The break in the middle bit kind of reminds me of when John breaks out in This Boy. That's exactly it. Same impact. And the harmony singing is equally great here. I mean, it's what we were saying. This show in particular, they just knock it out of the ballpark. So you think this song is the kind of model for this boy? There are similarities here. What we've been talking about a lot these past few months is the idea that they would start with a song and turn it into something else. Exactly. I can see them starting with this song and then saying, let's write a version of this. But this boy is, other than format similarities, is a completely different song than To Know Her Is To Love Her. Yeah, I think that's one thing that they're brilliant at, and I don't know how often they did it, but when you listen to this version of the song and then you think about this boy, it's not a huge leap. And we mustn't forget, the original came from the Teddy Bears, Mr. Phil Spector. We get the Swinging Blue Jeans as the guest with their single, It's Too Late Now. The song, well, okay. It's pretty run-of-the-mill. But the introduction is great. Right. Uh, so, Ray, what's, what's that you got? Uh, well, it's a, a chip butty. I just got it off George. What's a chip butty? Well, uh, a chip butty is two pieces of bread, you see, and with chips in the middle. You probably call it a sandwich down here. <laughs> a sandwich? Well, there we call it a butty, you see, chip butty. That sounds delicious. You got one to spare? I'm oh, sorry. I've had it too late now. Whee! It's too late now. That's, that's the title <laughs> of your latest record, isn't it? It is, Jim. Right. How's it doing? Oh, it's great. Uh, gear, right. favorite. Uh, it's too gear. late now. What a contrived cue for a song. <laughs> He's basically doing the, the scene from A Hard Day's Night from a year later. The Swinging Blue Jeans, another Liverpool band, they actually had the hit with the Hippie Hippie right. Shake. Couldn't tell it by this song. It was It's kind of eh. It sounds more like something from the early 60s that they'd kind of updated. Right. It's probably their version of uh, I Lost My Little Girl or something. (laughs) Right. As we get toward the end of the show, a letter from Liverpool. We've been thrown out of our anti-bug club. Rodney Burke does this real stupid little thing, and George dismisses it totally. We have been thrown out of our anti-bug club because we love Beatles. Do you think this is fair? From four buglers, J, H, G, and M. Now, this is from Liverpool, and it is very sad indeed. Uh, Why don't you start your own club? George, what do you think? Yeah. And it's clear he's trying to give it the least attention as he possibly could. Perfect George kind of like, right. And then he goes into his own thing to introduce the song, which is the honeymoon song that Paul sings, and he introduces it as the honeyboot sog. The honeyboot sog? You are? Well, you see, I've got a terrible nose. <laughs> All right, Paul, the honeymoon song. You can hear the others laughing in the background. And then there was also a comment, again, boy band, McCartney-itis. <laughs> right. Good for George. So, the honeymoon song, uh, this is from Zorba the Greek. Well, that makes sense. It's that same Latin style, kind of ask me why, or... P.S. I love you, that dun, 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 you know, it sounds kind of weird to modern ears. It's not a style that held on. Although Paul's vocal, he sounds really into it. Yes, he does. 
And he's not quite doing the doe eyes, or at least virtually doing the doe eyes. He's not overdoing it. Perhaps not, although I certainly could see him singing it with the doe eyes, for sure. Love is the ceiling, feelings are reeling, free as the air. To the empty BBC studio. Well, you know, he emotes the Huggy Boots song. Then they close it out with Twist and Shout. Good version. A little bit less raucous than the studio version. Yeah. John couldn't have done the studio version more than once. Right. You know, but it's good. But I agree. The record's pretty (laughs) non-reproducible. And it is the full version. It's not the cut-down version that they would do on the road. So Uh, it's not only slightly less raucous, it's slightly less rock. It's a bit more soul, almost. Okay. I go with that. So... Rodney Burke, once again, reading us out. Once again, Pop will go to the Beatles next week, and we get the full one minute and 11, 11 second version of Pop Go the Beatles. It's like, Pop, okay. Go the Beatles. Oh, great. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm glad they gave it to us. Pop! Pop Go the Beatles! If you really need to hear it, there it is. So we go into the August the 13th show. Which begins with Pop Go the Beatles. <laughs> 10, 20 seconds of it. It's not the full minute 11. So, I mean, we don't we don't need the full minute 11. You're right. Absolutely. That would just drive me crazy. Well, I mean, some people may think that of this show where we have the uh, a theme song that's over a minute that plays every week. Yeah. Well. <laughs> All right. It's five o'clock. We're ready to pop. Into Paul doing a really nice vocal on Long Tall Sally. Yes, although I think that the uh, backing track is much more sedate. But Paul's vocal makes up for it. Yeah, I mean, it's a good vocal. But again, the arrangement's completely different. worked out all that great guitar work that's in long tall salad on the record it just doesn't exist here
it's a variant on that. And you can tell that George is reaching toward that right. point. But they wouldn't record it for a while. Yeah. And once again, Ringo's drums sound really good here. The BBC really did know how to mic Ringo's drums. I think we're getting close to a point where I felt like the song backings become badly mic'd. Most of the songs sound like the the instruments are in another room to me. I mean, they're they're distance. So you think between the first session and the second session, something happened with the placement of the mics, huh? Something happened when you listen to the first shows on this group of shows they're great you even mentioned um, the fact that you Rigo's drums are great and oh my gosh there's this and then it all kind of goes away i understand and and i don't disagree with you uh Bark with another silly introduction. Uh. Long, tall Sally. Well, it can't be the one I know. She's a pally Sally, but she doesn't dally. Still, that's my problem. Here are words that rhyme with Sally. Right. Probably musical theater on the West End. So you'll notice that they have kind of been staying away from their own material. So we're back into Beatles songs. Yeah. Please please me. Right. Again, it's kind of what you were saying. They knew how to play this song at this point in time. Right. I don't think the vocals are as good on this. John does sing the whole, I don't want to sound complaining, but you know there's always rain in my heart. Yes. Legibly. On the record, you can't make any of that out. So we we come out of that, uh, more Rodney Burke. Rodney Burke pretends to try and sing, what kind of fool am I? Rodney Burke, dash, stupid announcing. (laughs) Here's another one of those, you know, non-sequitur, weird, what was almost mid-60s things. We do not believe all the requests are sent in by different people. We believe you write them. We believe you wrote this. Sheila and Susan from Edinburgh. I like that. That's really kind of funny, actually. Right. Then Roddy Burke comes back and does something old school again. Well... I can assure you that all the requests are as genuine as my Scots accent. Although he does actually kind of come off as Scotty from Star (laughs) Trek there. I guarantee you, Captain, I don't have enough power. Just to show there's no ill feeling, here's John and Paul to sing their latest Beatle recording, She Loves You. This was more or less brand new. The people listening to this, if they hadn't gotten the record, which again was a new record, they wouldn't know the song. That would have been a shock. Yeah. You know, oh, it's the new Beatles record. Yeah, for sure. You know, the vocals are really good. Good singing throughout. I thought the lead was a little bit buried, uh, you know. She says she loves you, and you know that can't be bad. Yes, she loves you, and you know you should be glad. In kind of the same way that we've been talking about, some of the things are buried in this show. But the performance of the singing is really good. I don't know. uh, Would you say buried? Slightly difficult to hear properly. It sounds more or less like the studio version. It's fresh. They had just finished it, basically. It's really telling when they do the final chord. They hit it. It's perfect. You know you should be glad With a love like that you know you should 
John still doesn't quite know the lyrics. He he kind of did it. Duh! It's up to you. Right. It's up to you. I think it's only fair. And there's an interesting thing which isn't on the record. It's go apologize to her. The word go is very pronounced in the way they perform it here. Right. I can hurt you too. So apologize to her. I haven't checked, but I'm sure it's actually on the record. It's probably just not right there. Right. I'll go listen to that tonight. More Rodney Burke. This is the card which... uh, I'm thinking times have changed. Because basically John gets a bomb threat. (laughs) More or less... Dear Leather Lungs Lennon, please would you sing Really Got a Hold on Me? If you do not, you are in danger of receiving a little parcel that ticks. P.S. And it won't be a clock. And they read this on the air? On the Exactly. And I thought, ah, the innocence of the 60s. <laughs> so that goes into Really Got a Hold on Me. John doesn't quite know the lyrics yet. <laughs> right. And when we were talking about the length of the shows, it's like... Why didn't they just re-record some of this stuff? It wasn't going out live because this is not the only song they screw up in this set. There's a, a several times they they mess up the lyrics, and I'll mention them as we get to each song. But on to the Holly's version of Searching. The Beatles have done that on the BBC. The Beatles version is better. Oh, yeah. First of all, this is badly mixed. It is way too poppy. It's a very milk toast version of the song. Yeah. The original Coasters version of the Libra and Stoller song is also not the rockingest tune around. Right. If you were to argue that the Beatles version is better... I'm right there because it is what the Beatles picked up from the coasters other than the tune itself is the emphasis, which the Hollies aren't really doing here. So John got the vocal, John understood the vocal and then he just kind of rocked it up a little bit. So then more Rodney Burke uh, talking about the Beatle collectors of East Barnett grammar school. Here's something for your Beatles collection. Beatles collectors. Again, I have Rodney Burke, another dumb one. (laughs) (laughs) well we'll we'll mention them we don't have to agree with them it certainly gives you a feel of the radio style of the day and 
It's no wonder they were blown away by Murray the K. <laughs> and the fact that Brian and the Beatles were really more amenable to letting them do this kind of thing. Yeah, you, know, you listen to the Who and the Stones at the BBC. They're not trying to do this sort of light entertainment stuff with them. Well, yeah. That's a little bit later, and it may well be because of the Beatles that they let that revolution go through. I mean, as noted, they've already upgraded who their guests are in these shows. Right. But the Beatles did acquiesce to this sort of thing, and that's what John hated about the way they rose to success. He was very jealous of the Stones. The Stones' whole position was actually a marketing plan. So they weren't going to do any of this stuff. In fact, the rebellious thing was their their whole selling point. We're not going quite yet because here's a request for the Beatles from the Beatle Collectors of East Barnet Grammar School. All right, well, add this one to your collection as they sing, I'll Get You. This is not a great performance. It's okay. You like it more than that? I did. I mean, I, I part of it is the the whole thing of hearing I'll Get You. It's not a song that they did often. So hearing uh, them do it live, it's a nice rendition. And I really love the harmonies of this song. Again, it's what we've been saying about this show in particular, this middle show from that set. The harmonies are all really great. Well, there's going to be a time when I'm going to change your mind. So you might as well resign yourself to me. They get it right, whereas on the record, they screw up the lyrics because one of them sings, uh, I'm going to change your mind, and one of them sings uh, something about time. So on the record, they screwed it up. Here, they got it. (laughs) Moving on to I Got a Woman, Ray Charles song. John having a great time with that. Uh, His vocal is great here. He starts off with his Gibson, very prominent in the song. Nice acoustic work. That takes us to the end of the show, Roddy Burke. And I've just got time to say cheerio on behalf of the Beatles and their guests, the Hollies, our producer, Terry Hennebury, and me, Rodney Burke. And now let's promote the single, damn it. Let's play it again. (laughs) Pop Go the Beatles outro. The next show does not start with Pop Go the Beatles, though. Or if it does, we don't have it. Well, that doesn't seem like Lord Reef. (laughs) it's probably just as likely they actually opened the show with the recording of She Loves You. From accounts, they did record a second version of She Loves You, but it didn't air. For whatever reason, they, whether it be it technical or be it, uh, they just didn't like the version, they went ahead and replayed the She Loves You from the previous show. I don't have anything more to say unless you want me to read my notes from the first time. (laughs) no 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 reason to do that so Rodney burke comes in she loves you and you love them and i know because well here are only a couple of the many requests for that number and i reckon that one will go right to the top of the chart he got something (laughs) right here didn't he right into words of love john takes the lead so we have a john doing a buddy holly lead and we have george doing a buddy holly lead john is trying to more do the feel of buddy holly than any of his actual sort of buddy holly isms they copy holly in that you know part of the thing of the song is that tell me how you feel uh, well that's holly does all that through his version how they sing uh 
at the end of the word. This version is harmony driven, um, much more than Buddy's version is. Yeah, for sure. This version is really good. I, I miss the 12 string. <laughs> Slightly more up tempo. It's a different version than what we would get on Beatles for Sale, but I like it. Which is better? The album version is probably better. But it, it's very good to have a live version of it, I think. Yeah. It was my favorite cover from that album, actually. So. Then a couple of songs from the aforementioned Russ Sainty and the New Notes. My Whole World is Falling Down, which, well, sounds to me like <laughs> London Bridge is falling down. <laughs> yeah. I, th- that didn't uh, make uh, the New Notes greatest hits, did it? I, not that I know of. I think they left that off the album. Then a version of Wipeout, which is not a bad version of Wipeout. I love the vocals, though. Back to Rodney Burke. The Beatles are back, which should make all their fans glad all over. And as far as this version is concerned, I really like it. It's George with his great rockabilly voice. I especially like his Come On Honey Bunny. Come on, honey bunny, hit me one more time. Every time you do, well, I feel glad all over. Ooh, baby, I don't get it silly, but I'm glad all over. Years later, he recorded one of his songs that never made it out called Going Down to Golders Green. And this reminds me of that. That's the George at his rockabilly best. Although that one was almost more a parody Elvis voice, I think. Going down to Golders Green in my limousine. Well, I don't think it was that Elvis. Going down to Golders Green. Going down to Golders Green. Going down to Golders Green in my limousine. More, more than a Carl Perkins kind of thing. Yeah, but Elvis, he did Rockabilly. They all came so. together, yes. The Million Dollar Quartet, as they were known. Well, some of them were known. But back to Rodney Burke, a letter from the three Beatlettes. This card here is, it's all worked out in little kisses. Now, there, there's the epitome yeah. of your boy band comment. Well, it so, runs through the theme. Uh, <laughs> now, here is the Anne yeah. Margaret song, uh, yeah. I Just Don't Understand. Which I've always liked. It's a weird choice in a way to hear Lennon do this but a good version the bass kind of disappeared on this well you know that I love you more than anyone can but a one-sided love I just don't understand then that's followed by Yet more versions of songs from Russ Sainty and the New Notes. Unforgettable Love and Walking Tall. <laughs> I got nothing yes. to say about that. Yeah. They're there. As I said, they're in the bonus section. You're not going to fit them on your CD when you burn this to CD. But Who could ever forget Unforgettable? Unforgettable Love. All I have is the man. That then takes us back to Rodney Burke, who talks about uh, this next letter coming in on the back of a big color picture of Bridget Bardot. <laughs> I, I kind of like that as well. Appeal to their uh, burgeoning <laughs> sexuality. Who's? Yeah, we're going to read this one because it's because because I want to look at the picture of Bridget Bardot. <laughs> you say who's burgeoning sexuality? Any one of a number of musicians or other young people in the uh, in the region at that point in time. 
George uh, sings Devil in Her Heart, screws up the lyrics. Why not do it again? But he's singing well. Yeah, maybe that's why they didn't do it again. Maybe that's it. But he screws up the lyrics. I believe we've established that Devil in Her Heart is not one of your favorites. We have established that, yes. It's not that it's terrible or awful. Just when I would be making my list, ranking Beatles songs, it's not going to get out of the bottom. Certainly in the bottom quarter. (laughs) Oh, yes. Okay, the show ends with after a, a bit more Rodney Burke uh, with John doing Slow Down. A favorite cover of mine. And he completely screws up the last verse. Slow down and dead stop, I'm afraid. But again, uh, as we were talking about with Please Please Me, he clearly sings, and now you don't care a dime for me, which is something else that's not really audible in the studio recording. So that's that's why they didn't record it again. Yeah, and then it ends... And then it ends with Lord Wreath having fun, as we say, just sort of ending the day. Yeah, and no pop goes the Beatles at the end. Interesting. Again, it may just sort of been, we've recorded three shows this day. We don't really want to try and go too fancy with it. I think you can hear that they were probably getting a little bit tired by the end of the third show. And that also may be why we get so many songs from the new notes there. Well, you got to figure, you know, at the end when John screws up last verse, there's a quick confab, and it's like, no, let's keep it. We're we're talking about 11 o'clock at night. Right. And, you know, they'd been there since 3 in the afternoon. And what was scheduled for tomorrow? And, you know, two days later, we're going to be in the studio recording our next album. No, we'll we'll just let this go. After all, no one's going to be listening (laughs) to this in 50 years. And, John, don't you need to get home to see Julian? (laughs) indeed another little news bit that we didn't mention julian did one of his uh, promo things for jude uh walking around with kevin nealon so he finally got out of his little box in his house it's about 15 minutes it's uh, kind of fun boy that was a good segue (laughs) this show i mean you know there there are some problems but most of the problems other than the flubbed lyrics are not really in the performances. You know, George has some issues in a couple of points. If you haven't heard it and you're going, should I hear this? There's nothing that George or any of them do to take away from, you know, this is very enjoyable, fun to hear, and nothing is going to be perfect. I mean, it, it, it keeps on with what we've been saying about the previous four versions. You know, they are still very much climbing up this hill. And this show, there's this set of shows, is better than anything they've done before on the BBC. Right. They've gotten past the issues with 
Paul's birthday and John and Bob Waller and uh, some of the random stuff that was going on there, they very much see where things are headed. Right. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're going to work as hard as they possibly can. Another thing that's going on is that they're introducing, I don't think they thought about it this way, but they're introducing the British audience to a lot of music that they hadn't heard before. It wasn't like they were playing stuff that all the kids knew. They were playing American music that wasn't being played on the BBC. This is kind of an important part of uh, their influence on Britain. Well, and we have to go back to Mark Lewison, who reminded us that when they played Please, Mr. Postman, way back when, on their very first show, that was the first time a song that was released on Motown had been played on the BBC. Right. Which still just kind of stuns me. Yeah. By the beginning of 63, there was a bit of a crack in the wall in that some of the Motown and some of the what would have at that point been referred to as black artists were making their way over to Britain. Right. So all in all, it's a great listen. It's a lot of fun. And well, these days it's not going to cost you a couple hundred bucks. (laughs) Right. As in the first time we got these, and I'm still learning a lot just listening to these shows chronologically. I'd listen to all of them in their entirety, but I don't know that I've ever actually sat down and listened to the whole run through like this. Right. From beginning to end. So, all right. Very good. We've got a couple things planned. Uh, Hopefully one of them will come through, but we'll certainly be back with a new show next week. And then we also want to do a year-end wrap-up somewhere in here. Did you say we're going to come back with something new? Well, we could do something new if you want to to talk about the Something (laughs) New album. We'll talk. Maybe. (laughs) All right. Uh, And... Remember, Toppermost of the Poppermost is out there. Please subscribe to both our shows and uh, give us a rating and let us know how you think we're doing. We'll see you next week. Bye. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group and we could be reached at when they was fab and on gmail the opening theme was written produced and recorded by jay young kim beaster famine studios san francisco california favorite songs sung by the Adam Singers directed by Cliff Adams and accompanied by Jack Embler. This recorded program was produced by John Brow. We'll sing something simple tell you one thing there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals but they got no bread to do it on not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people but this they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going turned up nice again